the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. One of the things that this shows us is that corruption has always been part of religion. That's not something new. Corruption didn't begin with the invention of television and TV ministries and televangelists. It has always been around. There have always been people that are profiting off of God. There have always been people that are using God to get rich always been around, even back to the days of Jesus and even before that. Perhaps one of the most common misconceptions shared by believers and non-believers alike is that modern man is more capable of new depths of depravity. However, Scripture points us to the reality that there isn't any temptation that's uncommon to man. In today's message, Pastor Dan reflects on the corruption of the religious leaders in light of what we witness today. In his study, you'll learn that while we might be more aware of it today, corruption and abuse under the guise of holiness is nothing new. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of John chapter 2 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. chapter 2. We're also going to look at Malachi chapter 3. I want to find that in your Bible as well. Malachi chapter 3, that's the last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, John chapter 2. We left off in verse 12 last week. Verse 12 says, and after this, Jesus went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples And they did not stay there many days. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He poured out the changers' money, and he overturned the tables And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. And so the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. And then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture 
and the word which Jesus had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Well, this passage today is when Jesus goes public as the Messiah. Uh, Last week, we saw Jesus perform the miracle at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, where he turned the water to wine. Uh, But that that was a private kind of miracle. Only those that were serving at the wedding saw the miracle and knew about the miracle. That wasn't really a public display of his glory. But now here he goes public as Messiah, and he goes public in a big way. He shows up in Jerusalem and he cleanses the temple of those who bought and sold animals for sacrifice and the money changers there in the temple. So this is his first visit to the temple after beginning his public ministry after his baptism by John. Uh, So now at the beginning of his public ministry, this is his first visit to the temple, and he's going to cleanse the temple. And I want you to turn with me to Malachi chapter 3, here at the beginning. Malachi chapter 3, and there's a prophecy here in Malachi chapter 3 that Jesus fulfills uh, by showing up at the temple to cleanse it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. So here there's this prophecy in Malachi that the Lord, speaking of the Messiah, the Lord whom you seek, he will suddenly come to his temple. He'll suddenly show up at the temple. And that's what Jesus does here in John chapter 2. Now he's begun his public ministry, and he suddenly shows up at the temple, and he makes a real big statement. He makes a big entry here at the very beginning. He's fulfilling that prophecy in Malachi chapter 3. Now, before we get into the text, the heart of the text, I just want to make a couple comments here about the geographical references that we find in verse 12 and verse 13. After he was at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, it says uh, in verse 12 that after this, after that wedding in Cana, he went down, notice that, down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. Notice Joseph isn't mentioned here. It's believed that Joseph has died by this point. And they went down to Capernaum. They didn't stay many days in Capernaum. Later on, he's going to make Capernaum his headquarters. And then we're told in verse 13 that Jesus went up to Jerusalem. You know, if you go to Israel with us, you'll get the whole elevation thing. Because it's all hills, it's all mountains, it's all rocks. It's all up and down everywhere you go. You'll come to appreciate the prophecy in Isaiah 40, where it says when the Messiah comes, every valley will be elevated and every mountain will be made low and he'll make the rough places smooth. And when you're walking around Israel, you're thinking, come, Lord Jesus, now and make the rough places smooth. So now we see here uh, that he goes down to Jerusalem. We would say he goes up to Jerusalem uh, from Capernaum. And he goes in verse 13, we're told he goes for the Passover celebration of the Jewish people. It was at hand. That's why he makes the journey to Jerusalem. And this is where he will 
publicly proclaim himself for the first time as the Messiah. And the Passover was the the perfect time for him to proclaim that he is the Messiah. Just to give you some context, the Passover was one of the three mandatory feasts of the Jews, uh, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. They were mandatory, meaning anyone who could make that journey to Jerusalem, any Jewish person, was required to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So during the Passover, hundreds of thousands of Jews were in Jerusalem. Sometimes millions of Jews were in Jerusalem. Josephus says that there were three million Jews that would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover. Another Jewish source that I read said as many as six million Jews would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast, such as Passover. So there's Jews that go to Jerusalem from all over the country of Israel and all over the world to celebrate the Passover. So so Passover was the perfect time for Jesus to declare that he's the Jewish Messiah. I mean, it's like it's like running a commercial during the Super Bowl, right? You've got a huge audience and it's going to have a big impact. And by doing this at the Passover, you know, word will spread quickly throughout Jewish communities all over the world about Jesus Christ. So this is going to get the word out here. Uh, And it says he went up to Jerusalem for the Passover. And in verse 14, it says, and he found in the temple, notice that in the temple, those who sold oxen. Now, I want you to picture in your mind how big an oxen is, uh, an ox and sheep and doves. They sold those for sacrifices and the money changers doing business. So he gets to the temple and in, in the temple, they're selling animals for sacrifice. They've got money changers. there exchanging money. Now, in the temple complex, uh, there was a building called the Royal Stoa. In the Royal Stoa, they had a marketplace. Uh, in that marketplace, you could buy animals for sacrifice. You could buy an ox. You could buy a, a lamb, a sheep, doves. Uh, if, you were, if you were poor, you could exchange your money. Uh, you, you, uh, Jewish people were required to pay a temple tax every year, but they had to pay with a temple shekel. You couldn't pay with Roman currency uh, because a Roman currency had the image of Caesar on it, and the Jews considered that idolatry. Uh, so you couldn't use a Roman coin. Although, if you remember, when the religious leaders in the temple came to Jesus and said, should you pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he said, who has a coin? And whose image is on the coin? He says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. One of those Jewish leaders had a Roman coin in his pocket in the temple. So he wasn't too terribly concerned about the whole idolatry thing with the Roman coinage. That's a side. We'll get to that later in John. Anyways, you would go to the royal stoa to purchase your animal for sacrifice. You would go to the royal stoa to exchange your money to pay the temple shekel. This marketplace that was there in the royal stoa, it was owned and it was operated by Annas, the former high priest. A guy named Annas, who was the former high priest. Annas, when he was high priest, he set this whole business up there in the temple And he put his sons in charge of the business operations there in the temple. In fact, uh, Jewish people called that market, they called it the market of the sons of Annas. They knew that he set this market up for himself 
and for his sons and all of the money, all of the profit, not P-R-O-P-H-E-T, not that kind of profit, but profit, all the profit that was made in that market, it went to Annas. It didn't go to the temple. It went to Annas and his family. And so Annas, when he was high priest, he used his position as high priest to create this business in the temple for his own personal financial gain. That's called graft. And that's what he did. Uh, And so he created this whole system uh, where he would make a ton of money off of the temple. Uh, Josephus referred to Annas as a great hoarder of money, uh, which I guess if you're going to hoard something, might as well be money, you know, instead of like stuffed animals or magazines or something like that, hoard money. But one of the things that this shows us is that corruption has always been part of religion. That's not something new. Corruption didn't begin with the invention of television and TV ministries and televangelists. It has always been around. There have always been people that are profiting off of God. And there have always been people that have using God to get rich. It's always been around, even back to the days of Jesus and even before that. We'll return to today's edition of Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton in a moment. But first, Pastor Dan would like to extend a special invitation to our listeners. If you've enjoyed the messages on Ring of Truth, I'd like to personally invite you to join us this Sunday at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just five minutes from Routes 29, 95, and 100. I'd love for you to come be part of our time of worship and Bible study this weekend at 9 or 11 a.m. I always enjoy meeting listeners of Ring of Truth, so please be sure to introduce yourself to me after church. To find out more information and to get directions, visit our website at calvaryec.com. Thanks, Pastor Dan. That website again is calvaryec.com. We look forward to seeing you. Now, back to today's message. Anna set up this system where anyone that wanted to sacrifice an animal at the temple, they had to purchase that animal from him. And so it's, I mean, you can't even begin to imagine how much money he's making off of the scam that he's running in the temple. Now, the reason I point that out is because in a couple verses, Jesus is going to come in and shut the whole thing down. And then three years later, when Jesus is arrested in Gethsemane, the guards that arrest him, where do they take him? They take him to Annas. And then Annas sends Jesus to his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who's also in on the operation, who's also the high priest. And they're going to be the ones who take him ultimately to Pontius Pilate to be crucified. But their animosity towards Jesus began way back here in John chapter 2 at the beginning, the opening of his ministry. So you have this marketplace set up in the royal stoa now during the passover time which this is the passover during the passover time annas expanded the market outside of the royal stoa into the court of the gentiles because there's so many more people coming up to jerusalem for passover he sets up his his market out in the court of the gentiles and he takes over the court of the gentiles So the court of the Gentiles was established as a sacred space. That's a sacred space. That's a place where Gentiles or foreigners can come and they can seek the Lord God Yahweh. They can pray to the Lord God Yahweh. That's a designated sacred space for them. And what Annas did, he turned that sacred space into a marketplace. 
during the Passover. He, he made it like a flea market during the Passover. In fact, if you look at verse 16, Jesus calls it a house of merchandise. And the word that he uses there is the word emporion. We get the word emporium from it. Jesus says, you've turned this sacred space that's been designated and set apart to worship God and to seek God. You've turned it into an emporium. You've turned it into a Walmart where people can come. And you can just imagine, you can picture it here. You just imagine that, that space now filled with, with animals and oxen and sheep and doves and tables set up out there and money changers and it's noisy. And imagine, you know, they would bring thousands of animals in there for sacrifice and just fill that space up. And imagine the noise, imagine the smell, imagine the mess that all those animals would leave in this sacred space that's been set aside for the Gentiles to come and seek the Lord. You can imagine what that would look like. And for the foreigner who comes now, who makes the journey to Jerusalem to seek the Lord, they come and there's no longer a place for them to go. There's no longer a court of the Gentiles for them really to go and seek the Lord. There's big crowds and animals and everything in there. They've just been crowded out now. There's no longer a sacred space where they could worship God, you know, reverently and respectfully. Just imagine if you came to church today and this, this room was filled with ox and sheep and doves and it's noisy and it smells and there's no seats in here for you to sit down. Is that really going to put you in the mood to worship the Lord, right? You're probably not even going to stay. You're going to leave. Well, that's, that's what's happening there. And that's, make, that's what makes Jesus angry. Is that they now have just taken over this court. And now the Gentiles who come to seek God, they can't really come and seek God. They've taken a sacred space. And they've made it a marketplace. And, and Jesus won't tolerate that. I think there's a lot of practical applications for us. Uh, from this passage, uh, first of all, um, this space that we're in, this sanctuary, this is a sacred space. This is a space that has been designated as a place and been set apart as a place in this building where we can come and we can seek the Lord and we can worship and we can pray and we can study the word together and seek Jesus Christ together. It's a sacred space. And so we don't, we don't want to have anything in here that might hinder people or prevent people from seeking the Lord. You know, so practically, just a couple things. When, when you come into this space, this sacred space, silence your cell phone. In case you get a phone call during the service. Or turn it off. You know, just so it doesn't interrupt and, and become a distraction to people that are, that are here to seek the Lord. When you're in this space don't get up during service and walk around or walk out. That's a distraction to people. The people here are here to seek Jesus. And we want to keep a sense of reverence and respect in this space. And if you get up and walk around, that's a distraction to people. Uh, if you have to get up, maybe you can't sit through a service, you can't sit for, for 45 minutes, 50 minutes, sit in the back so that when you do get up, it's less of a distraction. Nobody sees you get up and and walk out. Uh, I remember years ago when we were still at the middle school, uh, there was a guy that uh, attended the church at that time. He was in the military, uh, and he had a bad back. Uh, and he always made a point to sit in the very back row, and he would get up, and he would pace around in the back of the cafeteria 
where we were meeting. And he didn't tell me that he had a bad back. But every week, this guy at some point would stand up and just start pacing and walking back there. And I'm thinking, wow, my preaching is really convicting this guy. And the Lord is dealing with him. But at some point, he said, hey, I've got a bad back. And that's why I'm getting up and walking around. Oh, oh, oh I thought it was something else, but all right. So, you know, we just want to limit distractions. Here we, uh, we welcome children in the sanctuary. My kids sit in the service uh, here. They always have. But if your kids start to make noise or move around a lot uh, or talk, and they, it's a distraction. Take them to the family room. That's why we have the family room. Take them to the nursing mom's room. Put them in children's ministry. That's why we have those things, so that we can keep this sacred space sacred and so that we can keep it reverent so that people can come and seek the Lord here uh, with, without any kind of distraction. So that's, that's just a few things here for this space, this sacred space, that I think apply to us from this passage. I think some other applications for each of us individually. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, for example, we individually, we are called the temple of God. You're the temple of God. You're the dwelling place of God. The Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. You're the temple of God. And, and we are to be holy, right? We're, we're to live a life that is sacred, so to speak. And so I think one of the things that we can apply from this passage is, are there things in our lives that interfere with our worship of Jesus Christ? Are there things that we have in our lives as the temple, are there things that hinder us from worship or prevent us from coming into his presence? Or are there things that crowd Jesus out? Remember that, that courtyard was crowded. It was too crowded to worship there. It was too noisy. You have a lot of noise in your life that keeps you from really hearing from the Lord. Is your life crowded? Is your schedule crowded? where you don't really have the time or the, or the space in your schedule to really seek the Lord. You know, I would encourage you to have sacred space in your life. And by that, I mean sacred space in your schedule. A block of time every morning, every day, where you can seek the Lord. That's just It's set apart for that, and that's what it's set apart for. You're seeking the Lord, you're praying, you're in, in His Word, and that's, that's a sacred space in your schedule. He asked me how I know, and I say, bring truer than the finest crystal. Thanks for joining Pastor Dan Sexton today to study the book of 1 John on Ring of Truth. This New Testament letter encourages its readers to grow in faith to set aside personal agendas and unite in a pursuit of God's plans. The author wants those who follow Christ to experience Him fully, as well as experience the beautiful gift of a church community. Having a body of believers around you to support and encourage you in your personal walk with Christ is important. You'll also find that a body of believers is somewhere you can be Jesus' hands and feet to others. Are you part of a church? If not, we want to encourage you to find one soon. If you're in the Baltimore, Washington area, you're invited to join us here at Calvary Chapel. We're located in Columbia, Maryland, just a few minutes from Route 95, Route 29, or Route 100. 
You can find out more at our website, calvaryec.com. You can also give us a call for more information. Our phone number is 410-491-4592. That's 410-491-4592. We're honored to be able to share God's Word with you through each edition of Ring of Truth. If you'd like to listen to additional teachings from this series, you'll find them at calvaryec.com. That's all for now. Join us next time for more on Ring of Truth. Good night.